an enterprise is something that respects not only what you're trying to intervene in anybody's life and does that value that you're providing to is greater than what they already have number mm. one yeah and what is the comparing to that value to your values if the shareholders of a certain organization is getting three times the value that the poor get from that same intervention you are not a social enterprise Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 220 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen and I'm passionate about bringing you the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today we're speaking with Harish Hande. Harish Hande is an engineer and renewable energy entrepreneur with over 23 years of grassroots experience in meeting requirements of underserved communities. He's the co-founder of Selco SolarLight and is presently the CEO of Selco Foundation. Today, Selco's interventions have impacted more than 500,000 poor households across six Indian states, while focusing on innovation and ecosystem building, for which Harish was awarded the MagSaySay Award in 2011. Harish is a graduate from the Indian Institute of Technology, Karagpur, and a master's and PhD from the University of Massachusetts, US. He co-founded Selco in 1994-95 after experiencing benefits of solar energy in rural areas of Dominican Republic and Sri Lanka. Harish is recognized as a pioneer of rural energy service across the globe. He and his company have received many national and international awards, including the reputed Zayed Future Energy Prize in 2018 and the Skoll Award for Social Entrepreneurship in 2018. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss Harish insights into the social enterprise movement in India. We'll discuss some opportunities to tackle poverty and we'll talk a little bit about how India's social enterprises have been responding in this climate of COVID-19. So, Harish, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Harish, I would love to learn a little bit more today about your background and what led you to your passion in social enterprise, poverty eradication and sustainable energy. See, so, Tom, I mean, I started this in, in a time when there's no coinage of the word social enterprise. Yeah. This was in 93, 94. But that time, I mean, like an ideal youngster, that time it was more about sustainable energy and saying how it can actually lead to betterment of people's lives. Yeah. And I guess more so as I dipped into more into the rural areas of India and Sri Lanka and felt that there was no difference between enterprise, a private enterprise, an NGO, or something that you actually needed to do if you truly looked at holistic sustainability. Mm. So for me, Tom, it is enterprises and anti-social enterprises. It's not about enterprises and social enterprises. Yeah. Every enterprise should be part of society. Yes. And so I think the people inspired me in terms of 
the street vendor or a cobbler or a what do you call this a local blacksmith yeah i mean everybody was running an enterprise that was socially sustainable and so why not create one more that used solar panels absolutely and so would you agree then harish that the term social enterprise should just simply be business no, I would see, see, again, a business is just a term or semantic that we use in any language. Yeah. If, if Whether it's an enterprise, whether it's an NGO, all the legal forms that different countries have, yeah. is it respecting all three parts? That is the, on, on two parts, definitely the social sustainability and second is the environmental sustainability. Yes. And third is somewhere that needs to be linked to so-called financial sustainability and together, and financial sustainability could be at a project level, could mm. be at the program level, or could be at a state level. For example, health and education. I believe that the financial sustainability of health and education should be at the state and federal level. So as long as the loop is closed, uh, the, the social sustainability per se, then any form and organization should be able to do that. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a great point there, Harish. So tell us a little bit more about your work. I mean, you're CEO of the Selco Foundation. So what is Selco's purpose? And tell us a little bit about the work you do. See, the Selco Foundation work is to create an ecosystem in a manner that uses sustainable energy as a catalyst to democratize the delivery of health, education, livelihoods and other essential services for the poor and by the poor mm. so it's the, the whole philosophy of Selco foundation is is it truly grassroots level in a manner that's completely decentralized and we believe that decentralized energies like solar can do it and what i mean by an ecosystem is are we truly democratizing it in fact today what happens is if you have central grids central hospitals everything central we force the poor to become employees or we only use their hard labor. But what we are trying to do is, can we make sure that we utilize the intellectual potential of the poor mm. and use sustainable energy to harness that? Why can't there be an Einstein or a or Madame Curie from the poor? Mm. Why? Because we do not create that ecosystem where a poor kid in Odisha or Tanzania or in Brazil does not have an equal opportunity that you and me have. Yeah. So because we confuse between intellectual poverty and financial poverty, and that is Selco Foundation is to destroy those myths mm. and say that let's, let's equalize it. It's more of an how do you create an ecosystem that is inclusive. Yeah, so it's very much taking a, a systemic approach in understanding some of the, the deeper root causes of those issues and looking to tackle yes. those as well. Yes, I mean, it's like where today what happens is I still believe, I mean, in what happened, in, whether you look at the global south, we have replaced colonialism with intellectual colonialism, right? Mm. In the sense, or we have replaced it with financial colonialism. We are not truly, and, and in, in a country like India, we have replaced the British colonialism with middle-class colonialism. It's mm. like my kid's maidservant has to be my maid servant's kid will be my kid's maidservant. So it's it's not about okay, can there be equal opportunity for the maidservant's kids, the street vendors' kids, and that is where concerns me that. How do we break that thinking process and a social enterprise of whatever form should is an enterprise that kills that uh, thinking and create organization that transcends uh, the whole social structures of any society? Mm, yeah, really interesting observations. 
So I'm curious to hear then, what are your observations of this social enterprise movement in India then? How have you seen it grow or change over the previous years and where do you see it heading? See, my question is plus and minus term. The question is, yes, there is a big movement and I understand it, but I still think there is still what you call is a patronizing of the poor as well as in terms of romanticizing poverty and saying, I'm going to actually serve the poor by, by selling goods. I mean... See, the question is, it's not about selling small solar lights to the poor does not make you a social enterprise. Yeah, yeah. If that was the case, then Philips, many years ago, which sold torchlights and radios, should be called as a social enterprise. Yeah. So an enterprise is something that respects not only what you're trying to intervene in anybody's life and does that value that you're providing to is greater than what they already have, number mm. one. Yeah. And what is the comparing to that value to your values? If the shareholders of a certain organization is getting three times the value that the poor get from that same intervention, you are not a social enterprise. So you have kept that disparity of one is to three. So mm. Tom, the issue is you have the end users, you have the technicians, you have the mid-management, you have the above management, top management, and you have the shareholders. Yeah. And if there is not a straight line between them, horizontal, if there is a tilt that the shareholders are getting most of it and then the top management, yep. then it's not a social enterprise. You are mm. part of the same, same equation that is creating disparities. Yes, such great reflections there. I think many of us would absolutely agree with that. And I hope, hopefully it will challenge a lot of our audience to think in that way as well, Harish. So look, we're, giving, we're living in very much an extraordinary time, smack bang in the middle of COVID-19, you know, it's August 2020. Right. And this has obviously brought out a lot of struggles for, for many people around the world. But given these added impacts of COVID-19, Hadish, where do you see key gaps and opportunities to tackle poverty in India? Has it changed anything at all? I think it has changed in the thinking process. In a sense, for many years, people were saying that, how do we do reverse migration, reverse migration, right? Yeah. Now that migration has happened, right? Now we don't know what to do with reverse migration, right? Mm. How do we create enormous opportunities for, for people who've moved back? Suddenly, the attention is back on agriculture, yep. which is good. Yep. Secondly, it was also put to perspective, saying that centralization of economics like urbanization or big factories and companies somewhere there was a big fault that led to the very first day that you had locked down millions of people were asked to leave and they had to walk kilometers the question is that means our safety nets were not there mm. so the economy might be booming at seven percent seven plus yeah so there was a clear-cut uh, case in the covid19 that economy that many of the millions of people were not part of that economy. Yeah. And so I think on a positive note, it has shown this dark reality, number one. Yeah. And number two is, and many of us in the civil society have also woken up, I think, saying that, okay, what has, I mean, I, I don't blame the government, frankly speaking, Tom, what has happened to the two and a half decades of civil society work mm. that nobody created enough safety nets for this to happen? Yeah. Like we do not have a single example. And so the question for me was, this was also a true reflection of philanthropic capital as well as social enterprises, that what are they coming up with new options or new business models or new transaction models? Yeah. And this is where we'll show who are the true social enterprises. 
And I think the challenges in India would be, not challenges, so the opportunity is to look at decentralization of anything. So mm-hmm. how do we create a 100 kilometer, 200 kilometer bubbles where agriculture, local economy, local production, uh, local consumption is, you no longer need to convince people that's the way to go because that's the only hope to get the economy back. Yeah, absolutely. Such a great point. And I think that point and many others will very likely be discussed at this year's Social Enterprise World Forum where you're a speaker, Hadish, and it's the first year that the forum is fully online. Once again, thanks to COVID. So there's planned to be over 3,500 entrepreneurs that are expected to attend. So I'm curious to hear what are you most looking forward to about this forum and what do you think are some of the key things that just must be discussed and debated uh, amongst the, the entrepreneurs that attend? I think, see, just as I had mentioned in the last forum, which was held in Ethiopia, I think it's also a time for the entrepreneurs in the social enterprise space to reflect upon themselves. Mm. And so many a times what happens, Tom, is that the social entrepreneurs and enterprises always think it's a holier than thou like we are better and the other enterprises are bad and they are doing this and it's all about complaints and how everybody else is inefficient, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it's also a reflection we need to do ourselves saying that what is the true way of running a social enterprise? What are the, how do you look at the transaction costs? Are we truly what we are saying that, that we are, how much of our impact, forget the numbers that forget, okay, Selco reached 300,000 or 400,000. Does it, does it matter to a Brazilian kid? The Brazilian kid would say, okay, how did you do it is more important than how many numbers do you reach, mm. right? So so I would also request a lot of the youngsters, young social enterprises, don't come to a forum like this where you are representing many of the voiceless in terms of voiceless entrepreneurs, voiceless enterprises, and voiceless people. You're not representing your organizations once you're speaking at ACWF. Yeah. So it's you are speaking on behalf of the sector, and this is where I want everybody to be reflective. Are we truly efficient to be called a social enterprise? And if many of us reflect back, that would be greater value to the sector, as well as greater value for leveraging a lot of the soft monies that all of us bring to the table. Mm, completely. And so you... In talking about those social enterprises, which enterprises do you find truly inspiring in the way that they work with that ecosystem or sort of systemic approach, Hadish? Are there any particular initiatives there that you've come across which you believe are just creating some amazing positive social change? See, uh, if you, at a very, very small scale, if I look at it's any street vendor, it's classically a good social enterprise because, mm. see, it's somebody, a street vendor provides the products at the most affordable price to the poor at the doorstep. And you never hear, and, and it's sustainable over a period of 20, 25, 30 years. You never hear about, a, you hardly ever hear about a street vendor going out of business. Mm. But on a little larger level, you can say SEVA, for example, Self-Employed Women's Association, yeah. which, is, which was started in 1970 as a labor movement by Ila Ben Bhatt in Ahmedabad, basically looked at a very holistic, okay, we needed to create livelihoods. They created Seva Rural, and then they had to create a, a linkage to market. They created Seva Trade Facility. Okay, what happens to the children who come when the women work in central production? They created Seva Childcare. So it was building those blocks of sustainability, what is required, in, in inward and outward looking, and completely owned by the women. The interest, the Seva Bank is or like you take a loan from the bank and you get a 10% extra to be a shareholder of the bank, 
truly it's like it's there's no difference between the managing director's salary and the dividends that are actually paid to the poor street vendor who is part of the shareholding mm. of the bank itself so that's an enterprise that pushed equality and i would say one of the best the other social enterprise see they have both for profit and not for profit structures yeah. but are completely in a manner that is holistic and inclusive similar to the arvind i care uh, in in madurai which is another enterprise which actually balances between healthcare and how does it provide services to the poor and rich where the the, the main operation theater is equal for everybody it's mm. the pre and the post with a little bit of a difference here and there but the quality of health i cataract operations is very it's absolutely the same the same doctors and the same theater table for the poor and the rich mm. so i think those are two that really stand out in terms of social enterprises at at a name level but the thousands of street vendors and all are enterprises in their own way social in terms of providing affordable customized vegetables to the place that they're selling yes absolutely that's a great point there and I'll stick some links through to those couple that you've just mentioned there too yeah, hardish so hardish to finish off then books and resources are there any particular gems there that you'd recommend to our listeners I would say one is by P Sainath who writes everybody loves a good drought it's a book written by P Sainath on on basically saying that how how everybody likes uh, from government uh, from officials to uh, and how the poor get marginalized and the other way you now shoemaker's uh, smallest beautiful mm-hmm. i mean yeah. these two are both the both ends of a book and i would say yeah. which shows you the, the negative side and and the positive side what can be done and especially shoemaker's smallest beautiful is today's world is what we need under post covid scenario Absolutely such relevant reads and great recommendations. So Harish it's going to be an absolute pleasure to see you this year at SEWF Digital and I'd just like to thank you very genuinely for your insights, your time and your long dedication to helping eradicate poverty and help grow the social enterprise movement. Thanks again. Thanks Tom, thanks for Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.